1: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey, stackers Joe Salci.
0: Hi here. And I hope you're having a wonderful last holiday week of the year. I know we are. We're spending time with family and playing lots of board games. So that's been fun. But we have a open coming in just a second to this very special week of shows. But we've had some late breaking news that I need to share with you, which is we've made the very difficult decision to push our tour back two months. So if you were going to be joining us uh, at the end of next week in Dallas or Austin or Houston or on the West Coast after that, wherever you're going to join us, uh, we're pushing that back and not beginning that journey until March 1st. So there is a new calendar out at StackyBenjamins.com slash stacked. I want to walk you through that decision. We made that decision after the news that this uh, new variant of the virus spreads very rapidly. And also we saw the NHL cancel, I believe a week of games. The NFL had uh, five games that had to be rescheduled. We saw uh, issued lots of issues in the Northeast. Um, And I really worry about getting people sick. And when I had COVID, it wasn't a cakewalk. It was, it was very, very difficult and I don't want anybody to be sick like that. And also, uh, my brother, unfortunately, uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, passed away from COVID and, uh, and that has been obviously difficult as well. So we, for all those reasons, decided to push back. I went to our sponsors to get their uh, take because, Uh, I was unsure about what to do, and uh, our book publisher at Penguin Random House said, by all means, we definitely think that's the right move. And then I went to our partners at uh, Westwood One Cumulus, and they also said, That's the right move. But really, the person that helped me make the move was Jeff Hare at Million Stories. And for those of you that don't know, our tour is going to be sponsored by Million Stories, which is a nonprofit organization uh, backed by a foundation. And if you've never been to the Million Stories YouTube page, I think you should go check it out. And I'm going to be doing some videos, a video campaign on social that, uh, that chronicles me going around the United States on behalf of them. I'll be doing some very off the cuff interviews. I can't do, I can't do video like they do a video. They're amazing. Uh, but check out the million stories page and you'll see why I asked them to sponsor our tour. But Jeff Hare said, there is no downside to uh, pushing this back. There's only only upside. We can do some more virtual stuff the first couple months of the year uh, promoting the book and we can also... Uh, make sure that in the spring when the weather is actually going to be a little better in some parts of the country anyway, and hopefully this COVID thing is a little more behind us, we'll be able to get some people together. So new dates are up, stackybenjamins.com slash stacked. They're on on all of our social media channels. We've been trying to get the word out as much as possible. So thanks for hanging in there with us. Uh, We will see all of you in a couple months. But you know what? We've got a fantastic episode today. And now pretend that uh, OG is joining me because we pre-recorded our open, which you're going to hear right now. God, your hair is looking good today.
2: Is <laughs> so that there an echo in here? My- <laughs> Perfect.
0: You were saying that just before we hit record. Man, I am so handsome.
2: It is insanely you know, good today.
0: You get to sit across from me every stinking Monday, Wednesday,
2: Friday. You get to sit across from this. I, I mean, know, are right? Are you, oh, you got to it's
0: fantastic. A man crush. The fact that we that we hold ourselves back is incredible for all of you. Welcome to our you holiday. hold
2: yourself back.
0: Welcome to, well, yes. Up across
2: the table. This is Welcome- sweltering.
0: <laughs> to her. To is that testosterone I'm smelling? Mm. Mm, yes. Uh, welcome back to our week of uh, fire related episodes, financial independence, retire early. He's OG. I'm Joe. We are the host of the stacking Benjamins podcast, which I'm sure, you know, because you, you figured that out because you clicked on this. Yes. And congratulations for clicking on this because we're about to make your day. We talked to a fun guy at the end of 2018, Mr. David Bach. And, uh, David has never been on heard the show him. quite a few times. I think Dave's been on six or seven times now, maybe. And I got to know David when I was hosting a industry conference called FinCon. And, uh, after that, since then, in fact, we did a live show with David at FinCon and, and had, we've always had a lot of fun with David and he's always has interesting things to say. His take today is this, if, if you're somebody who is brand new to this and you're like, oh, this financial independence thing this retire early. What? Whoa. David Bach has a great take on this. OG has a fantastic take. Like if you're a naysayer, like we have some people that were, and actually this episode came out on the heels of Susie Orman being on our show. And also going on Paula Pant's show. By the way, we interviewed her back to back. She recorded with us and then she recorded with Paula right after. And of course, on Paula's show, she was talking, she was ripping the fire movement. So David Bach then comes on with us and says, uh, Well, you might not understand it, Suze. So that's this episode. That's not all you're going to get today. In our headlines, We're talking tax-loss harvesting, year-end tax planning. We had an episode on that this year, but we're going to talk a little bit about that from back in 2018 and uh, some great tips if you missed our episode with that slot earlier that you might want to dive into. And also an investment news piece detailing a few strategies uh, that people use with their money, and we'll go over our favorites and not our favorites. Of course, the usual stuff, Doug's trivia, the Haven Lifeline a fun episode. But more than anything, David Bach. Enjoy.
1: i get along for Hanukkah. So drink your Jaeger Babaka and smoke your medical chronica. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Duggan. wait a minute, it's December? You know what that means, happy Hanukkah. Well, we've got good news for you, because whatever you're celebrating, we're gifting to you today the guy behind nine New York Times bestsellers, David Bach. Plus, in our headline segment, if you're looking for ways to cut your taxes at the end of the year, we'll tackle a few last-minute tax strategies you'll want to take advantage of before year-end. And in our Haven Lifeline, we'll throw out the line to Carter, answer a letter from Andy, and save time for my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who were all about eight crazy nights of anything, but not too crazy. Joe and O-G-G-G-G-G!
0: O-G's always up for eight crazy nights as long as they end about 7.30 and you
2: keep the noise down. (laughs) That's so true. Yes, my... I end my day at nine thirty. It totally is like, done. Bam! Welcome
0: to O.G.'s Naptime Stories here on Stacky Benjamins. I'm Joe Salci. Night,
2: th- not nine thirty in the morning. Oh, so I could probably go for a nap at nine thirty. That's
0: morning. always that. There is. <laughs> did you see that meme about? Uh, hey kindergarten, can I have back all those naps I? Oh yes. I turned down. Please. Yes. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter across the card table from me. I'm talking to the wonderful OG. Happy Hanukkah, my friend.
2: Happiest Hanukkah to you.
0: Kickoff of a crazy, crazy holiday season. We had a great holiday episode. And today, as our first gift, we're sharing David Bach. How about that?
2: It's a nice gift.
0: It's the 20th printing of smart women finish rich 20th year, not 20th printing 20th year, <laughs> but 20, 20 years since this book first came out. I remember this book coming out like it was yesterday. Like welcome to old guy story. Like it was
2: like 20 years ago is how I think about it. But yeah,
0: it's crazy. That a book like that's 20 years old already. It's like you're seeing when you see football players retiring from the NFL. yeah and i remember them being young when i already felt like i was like
2: when they were in college (laughs) like i remember that guy getting drafted how's he retiring (laughs) there's no way i saw him playing his freshman year of college what the heck crazy we got a great show today we got
0: david bach upstairs talking to mom but first we got some headlines so let's move
3: hello darlings and now it's time for your favorite part of the show our stacking benjamin's headlines
0: our first piece comes to us from Investment News. Six strategies for year-end tax planning.
2: Love me some tax planning. Let's do it. Time to get this
0: stuff done.
2: 25 I 25 al- days to go, but...
0: I always love these end-of-the-year wrap-up things that we do every year. It just puts me in the holiday spirit now. You know what I mean? Like, I know the holidays are coming when we're talking about year-end tax planning. And I get, get giggling. get all
2: tingly. Yes, yes. Nostalgic. Second Back day of Hanukkah. Early part of the years when... I'll get all nostalgic back to the early part of the year when you didn't have to worry about tax planning. You could put that off till December. <laughs> Smart.
0: Uh, number one strategy, give it away sooner rather than later. Given that the increased estate tax exemption is temporary, high net worth clients worried about future estate taxes should make 15000 or 30000 for a married couple, annual exclusion gifts to children and grandchildren into flexible, irrevocable trusts before December 31st. Then right after January 1st, you can give the gift again. Good idea?
2: Uh, It's a great idea if you've got $25 million laying around, just right in our listeners' wheelhouse.
0: Yeah, uh, but giving it to your kids or grandkids, big mistake. Giving it to your favorite podcast, much better.
2: Smart idea. Great idea.
0: Next is offsetting gains due to growth. If a client sold appreciated investments or a business in 2018, That'll spark capital gains taxes, so offset those by donating to a family-controlled charitable vehicle like a private foundation
2: or a charitable so far. remainder <laughs> trust. Also, perfectly in the wheelhouse for a $25 million net worth client.
0: Have Jeeves drive you to the... <laughs> I know.
2: Charitable Jump in your Rolls Royce. <laughs> charitable... to your private banker. Donation spot. Draft up a charitable trust. Anyway. But in all seriousness, if you do have some gains and you have some losses in some other positions, some unrealized losses. Maybe it makes sense to net those out. Now here's the thing you got to be aware of. You can't buy that stuff back for 30 days. You have to do something else. You either have to leave the money, sit in cash, or you have to find something else to invest that money in for that 30 day period before you rebuy it. So just be aware of It's called wash sale. Yes. Be, Be aware of wash sale rules.
0: Think before you sell is the next one. Given the new limitation on the state and local tax, SALT, they call it, deduction for federal income taxes, clients should think before they sell appreciated investments or a business in the next few years because those sales will lead to unusually high capital gains taxes. But if they establish a non-granter trust in <laughs> Delaware or Nevada to store assets prior yeah. to liquidity event, they can avoid state capital gains tax. Hey, we're headed to Delaware, Nevada.
2: Yeah, there you go. Again, right in the wheelhouse of our you know, mid-eight-figure, nine-figure clients. But messaging is very similar here. Even if you're sitting on something that is highly appreciated, consider other ways to dispose of that as opposed to just arbitrarily selling it. Those
0: some good things to think about at the end of the year. I think the big one to think about, OG, is that uh, charities need help all year long, but at the very least, make sure that you give here before the end of the year. Our next piece comes from Kiplinger. This is a good reminder for people. We haven't talked about people with older relatives. The trouble with joint bank accounts, just in case. I used to Mm. see this all the time when I was a financial planner, older people with a bank account and an adult child that they put on their bank account. Do you still see that? Yeah. See it way Not a too a big aff- fan. Setting up joint accounts between parents and children may seem like an effective way to prepare in case of emergency or people need help with finances as they get older, but it can cause some big tax and estate problems. Here's a dual strategy. Consider instead. They talk about, number one, use a transfer on death, which is like a beneficiary that you add to your bank account. Mm-hmm. Add that to your accounts.
2: A lot of companies now you can do this online. I noticed on our online bank, we were able to fill out all this stuff on the computer, and it was pretty simple. But you, it's not the end of the world if your bank account doesn't have a beneficiary on it. But it does make it a big pain in the butt, you know. because yeah. Now you got to like prove that you're the one that's supposed to be in charge of it and that sort of thing. So a very simple way is just walk into the branch, tell me you need a TOD transfer on death form. I need a TOD form for my checking account. And bada boom, bada bing, put in who's in charge. If you get hit by the mail truck or the EPS guy or the FedEx guy, they're all crazy this time of year. So I'm bound to determined to get hit by one of them. And then uh, they can walk into the walk into the bank and take over.
0: The other person is your financial power of attorney. You can set one of those mm, up. but It's that, a really powerful document, though. You definitely want to think about the downsides of a power of attorney before you hand that over.
2: Really, two types of powers of attorney. One would be a general power of attorney, which is I can do anything for that person at any time for any reason without talking to that person. That might be something that you might have for a spouse or your significant other. You could have a limited power of attorney. So, for example, you might say, I'm going to empower my brother in law to be able to negotiate this house sale for me because I'm going to be on vacation or sign the documents, but it's just for that specific thing. That's much more common but much more limited as well again if you're dealing with spouse significant other probably the general power of attorney is going to be better
0: yeah totally agree i'll link to this uh because he goes into a little more detail here but this this time of year making sure you've got your account set up correctly i think it's a great time to get this in order
2: i'd add one more to this too which is the healthcare power of attorney oh yeah really important to make sure that other people can make decisions for you in case you're unable to from a healthcare standpoint. Again, a kind of a standard estate planning practice would be to include these these things in there. But if you don't have one, you can contact an attorney and get a healthcare power of attorney and a financial power of attorney put together pretty quickly. Again, last thing you want to do is have any sort of legal disputes of who can write the checks and who can Decide on mom or dad's health care plan or something like that. Get all that sorted out. You know, it's a perfect holiday discussion. Mom, dad, eventually you're going to get hit by a bus. Who's in charge? And then just be silent. Just keep eating your potatoes. Lead balloon. Debbie Downer at the Christmas table. Sorry, Hanukkah table.
0: You're so horrible.
2: <laughs> Follow that up with, what do you guys think of those midterm elections?
0: You already used that one. <laughs> Go back to the well on that one. I love
2: it. That's well Yeah, yeah
0: that's that's the gift that keeps on giving. It is. It
2: totally
0: is. <laughs> <laughs> You've been stirring the pot all day. Stirring the pot with your mom before we recorded. Stirring the pot here. Just good stuff. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's number one. If you have a joint account with someone, with a parent or with a child, I would think through that and use one of these two options instead. And then point number two is year end tax planning. Yes, please. Let's get all your tax planning all out of the way so that you enter 2019 fresh and ready to go. Well, here's a guy that needs uh, no introduction, but let's introduce him anyway. David Bach is a multiple-time New York Times bestselling author. I think by multiple, I mean nine time. Good night. Nine times, yeah. David has written not just Smart Women Finish Rich, which was his first book, but The Automatic Millionaire, Start Late Finish Rich, and Smart Couples Finish Rich. Of course, you've seen him everywhere. He was on Oprah about a bajillion times back when Oprah's show was a thing. And he also has been more than 100 times on NBC's Today Show to share strategies for living and finishing rich. Coming down to the basement again, our good friend David Bach. And walking down the stairs to the basement,
3: it's our BFF, David Bach. How are you, man? Man, I'm so good. I love this. You know, I love being able to do this podcast with you and actually see you too because, dude, you're so handsome. Well, thank you. <laughs> and, and likewise, I like it that uh, you
0: don't think negatively of us, you know, being in mom's basement and stuff. You actually come to the basement.
3: How great is that? I know, I know, I love it. Well, and you know, the last time we were together was FinCon, which was just absolutely amazing on stage in front of, what, I think we had 1,500 people in the room. That was. And uh, you emceed that event so well, you made me look good. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's so
0: difficult to make you look good. Yeah, right. Hey, let's, <laughs> let's talk before we start about the elephant in the room. Two dudes. Talking about women and in investing. I'm only here, as you know, because I host the show, but you're here talking about women and money, I think mostly because of your grandma
3: rose. Am I correct? You're totally correct. And obviously, you know, I'm out with the 20-year anniversary edition of the, the first book I ever wrote was Smart Women Finish Rich. Again, over it's hard to believe because time has flown, but back in nineteen ninety-four I taught my first class for women and money. And I remember my mom said to me, because I got my mom to come to the first seminar. And she said, "You know, you're going to have to explain to all the women when you come up on stage why a guy is teaching a class for women and money." And I said, "Well, that's going to be easy. I'm going to talk about Grandma Rose." And she's like, "Well, of course." So the what the story is: I learned about money from a woman, and that woman's my Grandma Rose, my Grandma Rose Bach, and she helped me buy my first stock at age seven, and that was in McDonald's, my favorite restaurant in the whole world. And she gave me my first money lesson. She was my first money mentor. What was so amazing about my grandmother? was that she was ahead of her time. She grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She was very blue collar, didn't have a college education. Both her and my grandfather really struggled financially. And at 30, she said she made a decision that would change change our family's destiny. She made a decision that she was tired of being broke. She told my grandfather, you know, Jack, this isn't working. And he said, what's not working? And she said, well, in case you haven't noticed, we're, we're poor. And he said, oh, you're overreacting, which is what a lot of times we say as men. And she said, I'm not overreacting. We don't have any money. And he said, well, what do you want to do about it? And she said, I want us to start saving. And so she started saving. And she started saving 50 cents a week out of his paycheck and her paycheck. And she literally put the money in a coffee can. Back in the days when you had a coffee can, like you used to have these, I don't know if anybody's old enough listening to remember that, but there's a coffee can and she put the money in a coffee can. And she took the money down to a brokerage firm at the end of the year and she opened up her first account. I just wrote a letter about this yesterday, a new article, because I said my grandmother, when she went to that first brokerage firm with that money, with that coffee can, they actually said to her, come back with your husband. And she said, what are you talking about? I'm in charge of the money. And they said, well, you need to bring your husband back. We can't open an account for you. And she literally said to the man who was so rude. There are four brokerage firms on the street, and if you don't want my money, I'm just gonna go next door and open an account. And they actually said to her, well, okay, ma'am, sit down, and and she opened (laughs) that account. The way the story actually turns out, I don't talk about this a lot, but she actually lost all that money that first year. She invested in stocks and she lost all that money, but she didn't give up. So this is before podcasts, right? This is back in the day of newspapers. She went out and started learning how to become an investor. And over her lifetime, she became a self-made millionaire. And I just grew up thinking because of my grandmother was like this i grew up thinking that all women were in charge of the investing in the family and then when i came to the investment world and back in 1994 i saw that wasn't the case i saw women being really hurt financially hurt by divorce hurt by widowhood and that led me to my cause teaching classes for women and money and i'm here 25 years later still doing it smart women finish rich the book just went over i hope we got you a copy of it we just went over a mil- we're over a million copies sold the most, one of the most successful financial books for women and money ever.
0: I want to go back to that. I actually want to s- stop on that for a second. You wrote a new preface and I know the book's completely updated, but I love in the preface, you talked about, you took it to a publisher and publisher says, well, I think maybe we might be able to sell 10,000 copies of this thing. And then I think
3: they turned it down, right? Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of people turn this thing down. Like I, I, I love, I mean, I talked about that at FinCon, right? Like we had all these agents that we, we sent it to that said no. I used to keep a bowl in my, on my kitchen table called the stupid list. That's not actually what I called it. But <laughs> the, the list was where I put these people who gave me rejection letters. And then when we toured, you know, you do what's called a, a book publishing auction process. And I actually got to go and tour with all these publishers and pitch them the book. A lot of publishers said, you know, women won't, won't buy a book on investing. This was in the 90s. And I'm like, how is that possible? Women buy like 85% of all books. It's not possible that women aren't interested in money. That's just ridiculous. And then the publishers that did believe in it just said, well, yeah, but you know, if you, 10,000 copies would be a lot. My publisher who believed in it, which was Random House, said, we totally believe in this. And we think you can sell, th- I think it was 30,000 copies. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, okay, 30,000 copies. But I said, but I want to sell a million and they looked at me like this young kid, and they're like, okay, that's nice. But seriously, 30,000 copies will be amazing. And if you do a really good book, it'll be evergreen. I didn't even know what evergreen meant. I literally left that conference room. I got in the elevator with my agent, who was Jan Miller. And I said, I love these people. They're totally excited about it. Sell the book to them because they're so enthusiastic. I go, but what did, he, what did it mean when David Drake said evergreen? She goes, well, that means the book could sell for up to 10 years. I go, 10 years? You think I could write a book that would sell for 10 years? She's like, yeah, it happens sometimes. Well, I mean, it's crazy, but here I am 20, 20 years later. Years. Yeah. And um, it's still selling. And, it, you know, it's probably in a way, in a weird way, well, maybe not a weird way, women and money is, is a bigger issue, bigger topic, uh, way more front and center than it was 20 years ago. I, I've been talking about the same thing I hate to say for 25 years, right? Like, women, you need to be in charge of your finances. But it's really front and center today. All the financial service industry is waking up to the fact that they have to have a relationship with their women clients or they're going to lose them.
0: But some things have changed, and obviously that's why you have the updated version of the book. What's changed for
3: women in the last 20 years? The retirement gap has increased. You know, we'll just jump into the really big issues. So what's different for women than men when it comes to money? Because, women, I always say women don't need pink mutual funds and men need blue mutual funds. The real core thing that's different is this. It's really three things. Number one, women live longer than men. In 20 years, you're living even longer now. Right. So for a woman today who's over the age of 65, there's a really good chance you could live to be well into your 90s or older. I had two Grandma Roses. One lived to be 97. Wow, She outlived two husbands. She outlived her first husband by 40 years. So she was widowed just like in the book. I said the average age of widowhood 20 years ago was 56. It's now 59. And so for women, you're going to live a lot longer. So your retirement, you know, you go, what, what's the retirement gap? Women can be retired 20, 30, 40, 50% longer than the man in their life. That's a huge, huge issue. So you're going to have a longer retirement. Unfortunately, women still have less money set aside for retirement than men. Significantly less. Less money in 401k plans, less money in IRA accounts, less money in social security benefits, often no pension plans. Social security is an example, it's, for women on average, it's a third less than men. And you go, why? why? Why do women have less money in, in their retirement accounts? And there's, there's two main reasons. Number one, they're still not paid always equally. So, you know, it's gone up. It's about 82 cents on the dollar now versus a man. But many, many women take years off from work for childbearing years, taking care of kids, and taking care of parents. It is the woman that typically takes the burden of parent care. And the studies show that it's about 11 and a half years. Well, that 11 half years of not working often happens during our high-income years. It completely impacts your earning ability. And so women are earning less and having less money put aside. So when you couple, I'm going to be retired longer, but I have less money set aside for retirement and I'm working fewer years, that's the retirement gap. And so my crusade for 25 years has been, ladies, you have to save more money than men. You have to know everything that's going on with the finances. I don't care if you're married to the local bank president. You need to be in charge of the money. Most families still to this day don't have financial plans. They don't have a written retirement plan. And if you are married, you need to know that more than likely it will be your husband who passes away first. 80% of men die married. You still got to – say that one more time. Yeah, go ahead. 80% of, men die, 80% of men die married. 80% of women die widowed. So, you know, and there may be some women listening right now who are single. Well, great then you still need to be in charge of the money. So whether you're married, widowed, single, divorced, my, me- my message is, ladies, you have to be in charge of the finances. You need to be in charge of the investing. you
0: got to see this all the time still, even with your crusade about this, David, because this isn't the first time I've heard you preach about this. But even with your registered investment advisory firm, you've got to still see people that husband passes away, spouse is in their office
3: for the first time trying to figure out with you and your people where the heck the money is. This is what led to me doing seminars back in 1994 was my father was in the business. My family's been in the business now for 50 years, and my dad had all these older couples, and the husbands were the ones going into the review meetings, and then all of a sudden I'm doing meetings with widows, and we're showing them how to read a broker statement, write a check. That's what led me to create my first seminar, and you know what's crazy is I'm still, like you just said, I just literally did a training for our financial advisors. Still, there's way more men in the industry than women, right? Like it's like 80, 85, 90% men versus 10% women. And, I, and so I'm talking to a lot of men. A lot of men that, by the way, the average financial advisor is now 60. So a lot of older men, often white men, and I'm literally doing these meetings. And I'm like, guys, listen to me. You cannot do meetings on a – you cannot be doing review meetings with your clients without the wife there. And you need to be spending 75% of the meeting talking to the wife, She's the one who's going to need to know everything, and if you're not doing that, you're not doing your job. So I have just, you know, I'm a because I train financial advisors, and I'm like, I tell our financial advisors there actually is no more important relationship when you're working with a couple than the wife. The husband comes second. I'm sorry, guys, you come second because in most cases you're not going to outlive your wife. And I always tell the men like, if you love your wife, then bring her to every meeting and make sure she knows what's going on and ultimately let her be in charge of it.
0: You know, everything you've said so far has made a ton of sense, which I find kind of annoying because I think the way we get ratings up in podcast world is for you to say like outlandish things. When it comes to this uh, retirement gap you talk uh, about, it's got to be like what? $5 million you need? $6 million
3: you got to (laughs) have? So I heard about that, right? I think you had that person on your podcast. So- (laughs) So that, that person who will go unnamed recently came out and said, you know, first of all, you got to work till you're 70. Everyone across you, she, she came out and told her across America, the new retirement age. But that is, solves, but that solves your 70. That solves your retirement gap right there though. Just work till you're 70 and there is no gap. We need to start this podcast over. I told you we need to, this is what we should start with. Listen to me. 70 is not the new retirement age. My friends, that is nonsense. It's nonsense. Why, for, first of all, why is 70 not the new retirement age? Even if you want to work until 70, let's just go back to what's true and what's not true. Here's what's true in America. Less than, four, I'm holding my fingers up right now, less than 4% of Americans are working at the age of 70. Why is that? Why are people not working at the age of 70? You know why? Number one, because they can't. You may want to work until you're 70, but corporate America has no desire to keep you working until you're 70. Look at the last 90 days. Verizon just had a massive pre-retirement package given out. They just reported they, gonna save, they, want, they want to save $10 billion. You know how they're going to do that? <laughs> they're going to get rid of all these employees in their 50s by giving them an extra year of retirement money to leave early. Who else just announced this? Uh, Pfizer. Pfizer. All you have to do is open up the newspaper. Every major corporation in America that has workers in their 50s, 50s, I'm not even talking 60s, they look at their payroll and they go, we got to get rid of all these people that are 54, 55, 56, 57, 58. We got to get rid of these people. They're too expensive. We got to get them off the books. How do we get them off the books? We're going to give them an extra year, a year of income or two years of income and we're going to get them out of here. And so you're just not working until you're 70 if you have a corporate job. Now, if you're an, an entrepreneur doing a podcast, sure, then you might be able – you can do podcasts at 70 because you don't have to go anywhere. But like let's just – in the real world, if you have a corporate job, you're not going to get to work till 70. And so we just have to talk about what's true. And the, th- the reason this is so important to be honest with people is that people think what you just said which is, oh, I've got if I work until I'm 70, these numbers will all work. I'll have an extra 10 or 15 or 20 years to save, and I'll have compound interest, and all the numbers look better. I'm here to tell you that most of you are not working until you're 70. Even if you start to live to be 90, 100, I was doing an interview with Barron's uh, two days ago, and they said, well, you know, there, there's all this stuff now about living to be 130. I said, you know what? Billionaires who are getting on private planes, going to private islands and getting stem cell shots for $50,000 a shot, they may live to be 130. Average American... Who's going to my favorite restaurant, McDonald's? <laughs> he's not living to be 130. And he's not healthcare. They, you'll be lucky in five years if you can get cholesterol drugs paid for by your healthcare company. So you, you're not getting stem cell shots and living to be 130. I mean, I'm sorry. I know we're all, you know, some of us are going to live longer. I told you my grandmother lived to be 97. But I just think we need to be honest with people and tell them you need to be saving more now. You need to not be planning on having a career that, where you work until 70. Why would you even want to work until you're 70? The average guy dies at 78. You want to work until you're 70 and have eight years of retirement? The quality of your life in your 60s is dramatically better than your 70s. So I'm all in favor of actually retiring early. You know, this whole fire movement that's super hot, like th- this other person said, you know, she hates it, she hates it, she hates it. <laughs> I would tell you that the fire movement, I love it, I love it, I love it. I'm the guy, I love this fire movement and we should talk about that too and why I love it because I think the fire movement is where more people need to be.
0: It certainly seems to me that when I started in, in financial planning and in financial media, David, all we were talking about was how to be defensive with our money against consumerism. What I love about the fire movement is it takes consumerism and puts it in its place and says, no, 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 I'm going to choose. Where and when consumerism invades. Instead of like, no, 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 I'm going to know all these tricks about how to not let consumerism consume me. It takes
3: it and moves it completely almost off the table, don't you think? People who don't like the fire movement don't understand it. Here's what old school thinking is about it's about an age and a number. Let's go back to the idea of 70. Look, you've had Susie on the show, right? She's telling people that they should retire. They got to work. Everyone's got to work until seventy, and then she went out and I guess and told people you need at least five to ten million dollars to retire. Okay, again, why is that absurd? First of all, the average average baby boomer has about a hundred grand in retirement accounts. That's the ones that are doing well. Okay, so when you go out and tell people that you need five million dollars to retire, you just wiped out ninety nine point five percent of Americans. Okay. the the percentage of Americans who have $5 million right now in this country, it's like less than a half of 1%. It's so utterly absurd to tell people they need $5 million to retire. When I worked at Morgan Stanley for nine years specializing in retirement planning, our average client was retiring with a half a million to a million dollars. Guess what? Today I run one of the fastest-growing registered investment advisors in the country. We've raised we're almost up to $6 billion in our management in 36 months. Our advisors every day work with average Americans – who are retiring. And they're retiring with a quarter of a million to a half a million to a million, to a million five to two million. These are ordinary Americans. But here's the thing, it's not about the number. It's about the person. So go back to the fire movement for a second. What's so amazing about the fire movement is people are saying, first of all, most people who are wanting to retire early, they're not looking to be on a golf course hitting golf balls or on a beach chair reading a book. What they really want to do is have freedom. They want the freedom to do what they want to do, the way they want to do it. It's really the fire movement to me is about reinvention. It's about rebooting your life. Almost everybody I know who's done these early retirements, they're doing something. You know, whether it's a blog or a podcast or a real estate deal or a startup company. I don't know anybody who's actually retired early doing nothing. So it's it's about the freedom to have more flexibility to do what you want to do, the way you want to do it to me, that's the American dream, right? I mean, in a way, the fire movement speaks right to the heart of entrepreneurism. You know, people are saying, I don't want to work for 40 years at a job that th- that then's going to push me out because I turned 55 and give me an early retirement package. I want the freedom, the financial freedom to live my life earlier. And that freaking rocks. And what people are doing to get there is they're not, instead of you know, so many people go, oh, I can't save 10% of my income. That was my that was the biggest pushback on me in my whole career. I teach people to save one hour a day of their income. And people are like, save, you want me to save 10% of my income? I'm like, yeah, that's what I want you to do. That will at least get you financially secure. People in the fire movement say, I'm going to save 20, 30, 40, 50% of my income. <laughs> God bless you. So you're going to buy less <laughs> shit, right? Like we can say that on the podcast, right? You can go and buy less junk. So that you can retire 10, 20 years earlier. Awesome. You're not going to go out and buy a new car like every average American every three years and spend a million dollars on, on wasted car payments over your lifetime. You're going to think about this stuff consciously, baby, so that you can have your freedom. Like, how how anybody can criticize that concept, it's it's just beyond me. And it's not about any one individual. It's about people who don't understand what the FIRE movement either is or they're just jealous of it. You know, if you're in your 60s and you worked your whole life and you hear that these kids are off retiring in their 30s and their 40s and their 50s, you want to immediately push back and go, that's not going to work. Might work. People are people are choosing to have a different lifestyle today. Even if it doesn't work,
0: you've got plenty of time to figure out a way to make it flexible, make it work. Who's
3: also to say what works and doesn't work? You know what I mean? It's everything in life is personal. It's like personal financial planning is personal. I have things I believe that are fundamental that work to build wealth. Pay yourself first, save money automatically. Do everything you can to not pay taxes. Say, don't budget, always save automatically. I have these fundamental things I teach, diversification really matters. Own real estate, pay the debt off. But you know what? I have people say, I don't ever, I've had people come to me and say, I never want to own a piece of real estate as long as I'm alive. Okay. Then that's fine for you. <laughs> it's just... it's just not right for me, right? Like there are these escalators. I was thinking about this the other day because I'm I'm working on a private book for kids and money. And I say private because I'm sort of in my mind writing it just for my children. And I was thinking about trying to give the analogy to my children that like there are these things you do that are the escalators to building wealth in your life. And these are the things I want you to know you need to do to be on the escalator to building wealth. And then there's these things that create an escalator to being poor. I want to make sure you don't get on the escalator that goes down. And so, you know, I know that there are certain things that build the escalator to building wealth, but there's also things that build the escalator to happiness. And I think what the fire movement is tapped into is the people are really focused, not just on the money, they're focused on their happiness and man, that's important, right? That's what's important. Living a rich life. I love See, it. Am I stumping you? I can stop talking here. Let me stop talking. You go. No, <laughs> no, I wish you felt passionately
0: about this stuff. I mean, I wish you got into it a little bit. That's what's annoying to me is that there's no fire behind David Bach.
3: I just think it's so awesome. I just, there's a young, I'm starting to get a lot of these young kids asking me to do some testimonials for their books. I'm like, I'm psyched that there's a whole new generation of people coming up wanting to teach personal finance. I think it's great. And I even think, you know, honestly, we're, we're we're kind of joking about Susie here for a second, but I think it's great that she brought attention to this issue. Yeah. I think we need to debate these things. I think we need to be really, and and my biggest concern when you hear We'll take her out of it for a second. You have somebody tell you you need $5 million for retirement. What that makes the average person want to do is buy a gun and shoot themselves. Right, uh, right. Now, give, America, give up right now. the average now. person has a gun, so they actually could shoot themselves. Like You tell someone, and I've talked about this in my books before, that the biggest problem with financial planning is that often by the time a person gets into a financial planner's office, if a financial planner just runs the numbers – I've had people go into a financial planner's office and the financial planner runs the numbers and comes back and tells them they need to save $800 a day, right? Like, like, you know, it's a slight exaggeration, but sometimes not, right? Like, (laughs) you know, you need to save $3,000 a month and dude, I make 60 grand a year. Like, what are you talking about? You tell someone who has, you know, $50,000 in savings, which is like way more than the average American really, then that they need $5 million to retire. They give up. They give up completely. They're done. You know, the reason I have taught the latte factor for twenty almost 25 years now is this. But if I say to you, you know what, you could you save $5 a day? Could you save $10 a day? Could you save $20 a day? Like if you're 50 and you need to catch up on retirement, let's start with daily amounts. And, And I'll sit down with somebody, can you save $20 a day? And they go, no, really? You make more than $20 an hour. You can't save one hour a day of your income. So now that $20 a day, that is $600 a month. So that's $7,200 over the year. I can convince somebody to realize they can save $20 a day. If I start with, you need to save $7,200 a year, they're already done. Done. If a person says, I can't save $20 a year, and I go, okay, I know you can't, but if you could, what would you do? Then they go, then they start thinking about it. All right, well, what about you and your spouse? Could both of you save $20 a day? I know you can't, but if you could, what would you do? If you can convince those two people, and believe me, there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who are not saving $20 a day. And I would say to you, I know you can't, but if you could, what would you do? Um, Because if you can get two people to save $20 a day, now they're saving $40 to get combined. Now they're saving $800 a month. Well, that's five times what the average American saves. These numbers really add up. But you have to go back to... Daily amounts. What I love is how empowering that is because when you say
0: save $20 a day, I know that people listening, David, are thinking about something like you don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But immediately when you say that to me, I'm sitting here across from you going, yeah, yeah, I know exactly where that is. And that's not everybody, but most people, the second you say 20 bucks, they know
3: exactly where it is. So nobody can see us because it's a podcast, but I'm holding up an iPhone. So there was a recent uh, article that came out. We should both Google and find it because it's worth quoting. But basically showed that the math of our phones, it's going to cost, we're going to spend on average about $300,000 on our phones over our lifetime. Most people are buying new phones every year. When we went through this whole tax cut thing in 2017, and I was talking about it from stage and going around the country and people wanted to know what I thought. I said, here's what I think. If you're an investor, it's going to be great. It's going to be great if you're an investor because all these companies are going to make a bunch more money and then they're going to turn around and buy back their stock and it's going to make the stock market go up in the short term. It's great if you're an investor. What's going to do for the average American? is to do nothing. The average American is going get to a, get a tax cut back that is less than an iPhone. Less than an iPhone. That's what the average American got back. That's why all of a sudden people are actually waking up and going, wait a minute, I don't really see a difference in my paycheck because it was an iPhone, but people will go get in line at the Apple store right down the street here where I live the two days beforehand to get the new iPhone. So I think a lot of people are walking around with iPhones that are worth more than their IRA account. Stop about, think about that for a second. If you have a brand new iPhone and you don't have $1,000 in an IRA account, what are you doing? Now, now, that's a better, I always talk about cars, right? Because I see people driving $50,000 cars and they don't have $50,000 in savings. What are you doing buying a brand new car that's worth more than your entire net worth, which you don't even own because you borrowed money to buy it.
0: I saw a calculation on that the other day about how much more money we spend on a car than we think we do. Because we think in terms of gas and and car payment, like we don't think about total cost of car completely. We think about gas and car payment and that's it. And why we're thinking about car payment at all versus Paying cash for something that we can afford is a whole different discussion. But um, similar analogy, $300,000 on an iPhone.
3: That's a ton of money. That takes into consideration also what would happen if you took the money and invested it. Look, everybody's going to have to have a phone, right? But the question is, you always need to have a new phone every year. Right. But again, these phones are all about monthly bills, right? Everybody's focused on teaching us to think about spending monthly. And look, you and I have been doing this for a living. We, We focus on people's, on what they can save and invest monthly. But the amount of marketing dollars spent on us spending monthly is 100 times greater than the amount of money spent on us saving money monthly. Dude, I'm all about freedom. I'm all about – at the end of the day, the only reason this stuff matters is because I believe we're all put here for a reason. God gives us gifts, and a lot of people don't use their gifts because they're working paycheck to paycheck, and they're stressed out financially. And so I think that we're just in the hope and we're – we're ultimately in the hope and freedom business here. You and I, as we do these podcast, like this kind of stuff where it's about freeing people, giving them the hope that will give them the encouragement to take on their life so that they can ultimately free themselves. I think it's a perfect
0: place to leave it. The book is Smart Women Finish Rich. You've heard of it because it's in its 20th year. Can you believe that? 20 years. You're not old enough to have a book that's been out 20 years, dude.
3: I don't. You know, and also we should, if you, if you edit this podcast, like, <laughs> Before I forget, because I should have started with this, and I is that um I just finished my brand new book, The Latte Factor. Well, don't talk about that. I just want your listeners to go out and get a chance to go pre-order it. Come visit me at gotcha. DavidBach.com. I was gonna say, because we're having you we're having you back for that. You are having me back. We are we are absolutely on my short list of people we're gonna do these I will absolutely be back. On May seventh, twenty nineteen, the book comes out. Uh, And I'll come back and do another interview with you Well, 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 Mama always calls you such a nice
0: young man. She insists that we have (laughs) you back. So uh, the book is Smart Women Finish Rich, expanded, updated, ready for right now, Uh, and available everywhere, as always, I assume.
3: Available everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the good stores. Um, And also, we updated, since I last was with you, Smart Couples, Finish Rich. That's right. Is in stores. And so is The Automatic Millionaire. So we took three of the biggest books, and they're updated completely. And people are loving them. They're loving them. You know, it's great. We're reaching a whole new generation too. And it's been interesting too because we've had um, readers who read the book maybe 15 years ago and they're they're they bought the update and they've gone back and they've reread it. And I've had people say to me, you know, I did a lot of this right, but then I also got off track. So it was like a good reminder to get back on track.
0: I think with a good start like this, David, someday your career might take
3: off. My mom tells me if I just keep working hard, everything will be okay. <laughs> Hey there, metalheads. I'm
1: Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, a.k.a. the Prince of Trivia. I know you shouldn't mix work and your personal life, but I'm going to take a quick break from today's Hanukkah celebration to congratulate my close friend on his birthday. You may know him from the band he used to be in. Small thing, really. You ever hear of a guy named Ozzy Osbourne? I call him Oz for short, but that's just because we're really close friends. You know, whenever I yell at him over his fence... (laughs) What a kidder that guy is. Oh, man. Anyway, happy birthday, big fella. If Ozzy were any other celebrity, I'd spill the beans on how the IRS slapped a $1.7 million tax lien on his L.A. home in 2011. But friends don't say stuff like that on other friends' birthdays. So instead, we ask this trivia question. Which Ozzy Osbourne album had the best debut according to Billboard magazine? I'll have your answer right after this. Welcome back to the Crazy Train Stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I said I'd move past it, but I need to wrap up the whole Ozzy IRS thing. You know, his wife, Sharon, Ozzy's manager, said that she didn't know anything about the tax lien until the media reported it. Apparently, there was a mix-up with their financial advisors and the bill got paid. You know, of course, Ozzy would have shared that with me, but there must be an issue with his phone because he hasn't ever called me back. So, I had to read about it all on TMZ, but let's head back to that trivia shall we before the break i asked you this question which ozzy osborne album had the best debut according to billboard magazine the answer while earlier albums were more critically acclaimed ozzy's 2007 album black rain debuted at number three on the u.s billboard top 200 selling a whopping 152,000 copies in its first week I'm sure, you know, helped by yours truly, of course. See ya.
0: Big thanks to David Bach for coming down to the basement. I have to agree. Fire is way more about the financial independence, the flexibility part, I think, than retire early. I feel like talking to most people, the whole retire early piece is a little overplayed.
2: It's kind of the back end of the, uh, of the plan. It's all about, like he said, being able to choose what you want to do on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. And that may include working or working for yourself or taking time off for six months or whatever the case may be. But it's being in charge of your own destiny, so to speak, as opposed to, you know, arbitrarily punching the time clock for 35 years.
0: What do you think about that five million number that Susie Orman said?
2: I think that anybody can retire at any time and it's all about spending, right? If you are accustomed to spending $2,500 a month and that's your number, then you can retire on way less money than $5 million. If you are accustomed to spending $25,000 a month, 5000000 million wouldn't even get you close. So, so it's just a purely a function of what your lifestyle is. I don't think that the arbitrary rule of thumb of hey when I retire I'm going to spend 70% of my normal expenses when I'm retired. I don't think that's a legitimate thing. I've never met anybody who says, I can't wait to stop working and do way less cool stuff. Like everybody wants to stop and go do more stuff. So at least your lifestyle is going to stay the same, if not increase into retirement. At least the beginning stages or you know whatever. So I do disagree with the, well, I spend five thousand a month now. When I retire, I'm only going to spend three. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's that's really a good idea to plan on. But um, but truly, it just becomes a function of of what you need. I I kind of feel frustrated sometimes listening to you know what Susie said and or some other you know financial bloggers and things like that, where it's like. You need ten million dollars to do this or five million dollars to do that or whatever, or hey, I save, you know, two hundred thousand dollars a year. There are some people who can do that, but I think a lot of people can't. And I think it's a disservice to kind of put that, that carrot out there at such an insanely high number. I mean, think about it. When you're like your kids, Joe, are twenty-three or twenty-four, you know, they're just getting started in their retirement planning, they're just getting started in their investing plan. If they're only a year into it and they've maxed out all of their, you know, they might have saved twenty grand, twenty five, you know, maybe thirty, and then you you tell a twenty five year old, hey, great news, you just have to get to five million, right? <laughs> like, it's, such, it you know, it's such a such an enormous number. It's exactly relative.
0: what it's exactly what David said. You might as well shoot me, just 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 shoot me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so discouraging.
2: So I think that's a bigger problem. I'd like to see. Even in the financial planning space, if you know, maybe five million is the number, but let's set a ten year goal for eight hundred thousand. You know, or whatever whatever yeah. that breaks down into, but break it down into something that's a little bit more manageable along the way, as opposed to, you know, giving this arbitrary number. It's, it's no different than twenty years ago when people said, Oh, you need a million dollars to retire. Yeah, where did that maybe, come from? Yeah, right. Maybe, you know, if you have that lifestyle.
0: Well, it goes back like David said, people retiring with Half a million dollars, a million dollars. I mean, you guys totally agree. Comes comes down to what you spend. Totally comes down to that. Thanks again to David for hanging out again in the basement. Hey OG, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency. They're putting what you value first.
2: Dradles and chocolate gelt.
0: Mmm, yummy. For the next uh Six days loading up on those chocolates. It's funny how chocolate wrappers all over the place. Uh, actually, it's your family and your time, which is why they may buying quality term life insurance. Actually, simple, affordable prices, simple online application. You get an insurance coverage decision right away. All policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual. more than 160-year-old insurer. That's pretty old. No waiting several weeks for a decision. Head to stack dot forward slash Haven life now to get a free quote. That's stack dot Benjamins.com forward slash Haven life. And today we're throwing out the lifeline to our good friend Carter. Say hi, Carter.
3: Hey, Joe and OG. First off, I wanted to give a quick shout
2: out to Doug for keeping the show alive. Second off, I have a question that he may be too busy down at the sizzler to handle. So I'm currently working on my retirement projections as we come into this new year and we plan for this. And I wanted to get y'all's input as to how you account for inflation in these types of calculations. Currently, I don't account for any inflation in my contributions, and I wonder that by accounting for inflation as to what those contributions will be payment-wise 15, 20 years down the road, if I'm kind of double counting that. So, wanted to get your thoughts. Thanks as always. See ya.
0: That's funny. I've rarely thought of it that way, Carter. Interesting question.
2: I think that you can be very safe to not count any inflationary increases in your savings rate. Although if you set yourself up automatically, to borrow a David Bach phrase, then from a percentage standpoint, it naturally will increase because you don't necessarily know that your pay is going to increase you know, 3% every year, you might have a couple of years of no increases and then a big bonus or something like that. I like the approach of planning conservatively and then adjusting it on an annual basis. Because what's the worst that happens? Let's say that right now you're making $100,000 a year and you're saving 20% of your income. If you figure, okay, in 20 years from now, I should be making $200,000 a year and I should be saving $40,000 a year. If all we've planned on is 20000 a year every year for that 20-year period, well, eventually you're going to do your retirement projections and go, wait a second, I got w- way too much money. <laughs> I'm past that financial independence time. Versus if you plan on an increase every year and then you get to the point where maybe that in- those increases slow down or lifestyle creep happens or life changes, you decide to have some kids and now you can't save as much money or whatever the case may be. Well, now your entire plan is destroyed. It's the same thing about investment projections. You should have an expectation of your investments performing a certain level, but plan for them to perform at a much lower level.
0: I love that because then as things go well, you can decide, hey, do I speed up my endgame, whatever that might be, my financial independence? Do I So do I move the date up? Do I spend more money once I decide that I'm ready to spend money? Do I slow down my spending early and maybe stop saving and spend a little bit more money while I'm still working? I mean, whatever whatever it might be, you're buying a lot of flexibility by not counting it.
2: Well, that's the biggest thing is the flexibility piece because if you're in your 20s or early 30s, it's impossible to know or even guesstimate all the stuff that might happen over the next 25 years. I mean, what happens if you get married late in life, adopt two kids, and decide to put them through college? That's a change in your financial plan, and that's totally fine. But now is the time to be building in that flexibility with all the extra savings and that sort of thing because you don't want to get to the point where you're like 58 going, should I send my kid to his final year of college? Or save this money so I can retire when I'm sixty five. So that's why I'm a big fan of percentage savings, not dollar amount savings. So as your income increases, or if it goes down, it's still gonna be a percentage, right? You're gonna still be able to have that same contribution amount percentage wise. And it automatically includes the fact that as your income increases, you know, you're saving a commensurate amount. Thanks to the
0: question, Carter. Carter's taken home a greatest money show on earth t shirt by the way. We also get, Hallelujah. yeah, we get letters down here too. And uh, Doug just delivered this beauty to us. This comes to us from Andy. Andy says, hi, Joe, I've got about $24,000 in three retirement 403B accounts from previous jobs. I've left the funds and their respective accounts when I left the jobs. And now I work in the federal government where I'm enrolled in the TSP. I've heard you speak highly of the thrift savings program, the TSP, Would you mind elaborating on why you like the TSP? And my policy prior to now has always been to remain in one job for at least two years before consolidating my retirement funds. I've been in the federal workforce now for one and a quarter years. Should I go ahead and roll these retirement account balances into the TSP? If I leave the federal government employee, should I leave all my money in the TSP? Thanks, Andy.
2: Well, the reason we like the TSP or talk highly about it is because it's very simple. It's really hard to muck it up. You know, you've got five funds to pick from. Now they have some lifestyle funds in there, the the target date deals, but um, the kind of the bread and butter or the C, S, I, F, and G, you know, and so not a lot of complication there. Very index based, pretty low cost.
0: That's what I was going to say. The two things in far less than what you're talking about, because I think simplicity is the answer. Very low cost funds, uh, which surprises me for a federal government run program. And then the second piece, the second piece is the fact that those
2: funds are always competitive. It shouldn't surprise you. Like here, we have this program that's only available to congressmen and federal employees. <laughs> Let's make it really awesome. <laughs> Here's all the stuff for everybody else. It's going to suck.
0: Good point. We'll make it convoluted for everybody else. For us, yeah. it's going to be simple. It's going to be low cost. And
2: cheap. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We can't screw it up. No, the uh so that's that's really the biggest reason. As far as consolidating, you know, your time frame, I don't know why you'd have a arbitrary two year time frame of I, I don't want to consolidate before that period of time. There's just some big inefficiencies there. Generally speaking, the four oh three B market is heavily fee laden. Sometimes you get some good apples in there that don't do that, but generally speaking it is. So I would strongly consider moving my 403B money if it's possible into your 401k. Some again, some plans are really restrictive in that option too, so you'll find out. And then if you do leave the employment of the federal government, you'll have to decide whether or not the new plan, a traditional IRA, is better or keeping it with the TSP. I've seen all three of those options executed. Here's the one thing that I'll give you some really strong guidance on. I would not try to do any of this the remainder of the calendar year. And the only reason for that is you don't want to run the risk of having this reported over two calendar years. Despite the fact that it's still you know 100% oh. legal and there's no penalties and no taxes and any of that sort of stuff, I guarantee that if you have the money leave your 403b on December 29th and have it deposited in your TSP on January 3rd. Flippin mess. You will get a letter you will get a letter from the IRS that says says here you made a distribution because the reconciling transaction of that will not be reported to the IRS until later in 2020. So as we get closer to the end of the year, my best advice is to just stand pat. There's really nothing that can help you in the last uh, 3 weeks of the year that you just can't wait on until January 2nd.
0: Man, here's the deal. I really don't like advice generally that encourages inaction for X amount of time and then picking it up later because studies show that if you put it down now, you never pick it up. up So this is definitely a super exception. I would have a date on your calendar, a hard date, of January second or whatever the first non weekend day is, I don't even know how the calendar works this year. But the uh just I,
2: like every other calendar, Sunday through Saturday, they're going to keep it the same. After all,
0: are they really? They haven't repealed yeah. that yet. That's amazing. No, nope. nope. they're going
2: to keep it very much just like every other calendar since
0: 2019 beginning. is already shaping up to be great. Yeah, uh, January second's a Wednesday, so I would have in all highlighted day off of work. letters All in
2: sick. Use your first sick day of the year.
0: Get that thing done right away. Heck, you know what? Even start it on the 31st because there's no way if you start the process on the 31st that the money's going to leave there the 31st. So um, start it up and uh, have it all happen immediately. I just get afraid that people just won't do anything. Great question though, Andy. Thanks for the question. You know, the only place where, where I may differ a little bit, I love the TSP now. I don't know that I'll always love it. If somebody decides to do something different, you're then beholden to that. I always like the idea of an outside IRA about whenever you leave jobs, having this outside third-party IRA that's separate from wherever you're at. But that's a difference between what vanilla and French vanilla. Mm,
2: Probably. Yeah.
0: Not that big a deal. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question and uh, you would like to partake in, a greatest money show on earth shirt head to dot benjamins.com forward slash voicemail or if you want to write us a letter just head to stacking benjamins and on the top of the page you will see the questions for the show tab click that link and uh, it'll show you all the ways to interface with us all right well speaking of the end of the year one thing i would do before the end of the year if you're thinking about getting on og's waitlist for 2019 to talk to him i do that now StackyBenjamins.com forward slash OG. And that's if you're looking for good financial planning help in your corner. Obviously, if you just have a question for us, that's not the place to go. Just head to StackyBenjamins.com and click the link I told you about a second ago. That's going to do it for today, man. Thanks again. To, well, you know what? A th- big thanks to David Buck. I know Doug's about to do that again, but uh, fantastic show, OG. Good stuff.
2: Thanks, buddy. You too. I would also add we've got just a few more leftover tour shirts before the end of the year great christmas gifts again we are donating all of the money the proceeds to our tiaa difference makers richie does not want these in his basement anymore and you can get those at uh, stacking benjamin's slash tour shirts
0: awesome we'll have that link in our show notes page as well all right doug take it from here man What should we've learned today
1: So, what did we learn today? First, take some advice from David Bach. Pursue financial independence ASAP. Go to every meeting with your financial advisor, whether you're a man or a woman. Don't delegate your financial security to someone else. Second, thinking about buying permanent life insurance as an investment. For most people, you should forget it. But, if you can stuff a policy full of cash, are comfortable continuing to stuff money into it long into the future, and... And ignore people who don't understand the policy telling you not to do it, this can be a great strategy. But the big lesson? Don't let Joe's mom near the candles during Hanukkah. It's eight crazy nights, mom. Not 67. And probably they're not all cinnamon-scented either. I don't think that's what they had in mind originally. Special thanks to David Bach for stopping by. You can find the 20-year updated edition of Smart Women Finish Rich wherever books are sold. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter reese and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast, or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. spend hours wondering what Kenny Loggins is doing on any given Tuesday morning. Oh no, that's just me.
0: I have seen a ton of movies lately, and I'm going to get behind on these. This is a movie that's been out for a little bit now, OG, directed by Julius Avery. But more than that, executive producer on this is J.J. Abrams. This is a film about World War II called Overlord.
2: I was cutting grass in my front yard. The mailman shows up with a letter from the army. Now I'm here. No idea where I'm gonna end up. Oh,
1: Welcome to France. What happened here? Some questions don't have good answers. There's a lot of soldiers out there and there's only four of us. Find out what's inside that compound.
0: Some bad noises coming from underneath the tower in a town behind enemy lines, the 101st Airborne, as they paratroop in this one unit, their job is to take out a radio tower on top of a church so that the forces in Normandy can successfully advance with more of a muted response from the Nazis. And what they find going on inside this little town, inside this church, of course, is uh, uh horror, evil, madness, terror. It's a crazy action movie about Nazi experiments, about zombie like things, and World War II all mixed into one. what's funny is is that generally I identify a movie like this way more with OG than with me. This was a uh just less than two hour ride, and I was in it from the very beginning. There's a few jump scares in there, you know, where bad guys behind some door and it scares that out kind of you. Generally it was telegraph, so you saw it coming. This got huge rotten tomato scores, which surprised me for a World War Two slash zombie evil scientist experiments <laughs> movie. But man, was it campy fun. This was such campy fun. You would be all over this movie. I think, I think so. Lots of stuff blowing up, man. Lots of stuff blowing okay. up. Bunch of good the zombie guys. Zombie
2: thing has a like that's like negative fifty points on the scale. I know. Once you introduce zombies into the thing, I go, yeah, <laughs> there'd be a lot of cool explosions. That's
0: what I thought when I first heard it. When I first heard about it, I heard World War II jumping behind enemy lines. I went, oh, okay, yeah, this is going to be interesting. Zombies. hard pass. And then they and then they go into this town, and there's a, a scientist who's doing these experiments, and all of a sudden things change. And I thought, yeah, probably not for me. Very, very fun movie. Big, big thumb up if you like action movies at all. Big thumb up for me on Overlord. Movies probably now at the Dollar Theater. You can probably see it on your next plane ride. All right. That would be good. David has written not just Smart Women Finish Rich, which was his first book, but The Automatic Millionaire. Start late, finish late and smart couples finish rich start late finish late it's called start late oh <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't think that's the name of the book
0: <laughs> start late living in a van down by the river <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: it's ten time best selling a book if you start too late you're f- by david bach mail it in <laughs>